What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. The whole works. Um, we're recording this on uh, Christmas Eve Eve. Uh, so for more, most of you, you might be listening to this after the holidays. So hopefully all that went well. You got all, got all the gifts that you wanted. And if not, you can always jump on Amazon or jump on eBay or use a gift card to uh, go get what you really want. So in terms of what we're going to be talking about on today's show, we're going to be talking about three different conferences actually in the next uh, 60 days or so are going to be happening. And it used to be that there was really just one conference and now there's three and they all happen within about 30 days of each other. So um, you, if you're a shop owner, if you're somebody that wants to attend these events, yeah, you have you have plenty to choose from. Heck of a tax write-off. I know Donald Trump just lowered our taxes, uh, depending on who you listen to. If you listen to, um, you know, anchors on CNN or uh, you know, liberal politicians that majored in liberal study, Middle Eastern basket weaving, they'll tell you that your taxes just got raised. But uh, for the most of you, eighty percent of you guys listening, well, fifty percent of you don't pay taxes. The other fifty got uh, almost all of you got a tax refund. So. Whether or not you need to travel to Florida, Arizona, or Texas to one of these uh, trading card conferences might <laughs> might be debatable, but we'll talk about that. We'll debate which ones you might need to attend. Um, talk about Topps Transcendent Baseball, which is currently uh, trying to be broken by breakers and, and the card community, but I did a little bit of math on this, and I honestly don't think... There is enough money in the card community to open this up in a short period of time. So we'll talk about that. Finally, we'll talk about, um, well, it's almost the new year. So as you're listening to this, probably, I would say probably the last sports card show of 2017. And we're rolling into 2018, our 10th year. Our 10th year. So if you're just picking up the sports card show podcast I will say you're just late to the party. Uh, we've been around for 10 years. We're coming into our 10th year in the sports card show. The longest running, most listened to number one sports card show podcast year after year is the sports card show podcast. No sponsors, no giveaways, but you guys listen year after year because, hey, we, we tell it how it is on the show. And, uh, you know, we tend to give out um, advice that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And that will include our New Year's resolutions for Panini, Tops, and Upper Deck. Finally, we'll have our Make America Great Again segments, which will be a continuation of our Econ 101 segment, which I got a lot of feedback. I tell you what, I get more feedback, more emails, more questions on the Make America Great Again segments than I do the other segments. So maybe it's a sign that uh, my sports card content isn't all that valuable. I don't know. But I do know that I get a lot of feedback, Far again, far more feedback on those segments than I do anything else. And so on today's show, I'm going to continue kind of Economics 101, but I had two questions uh, from two different listeners, and I've responded to the one. The other one I'll get back to here shortly. But one of them asked me, what specific podcasts do I listen to? 
in terms of the investment slash econ world. So I'll give an answer to that. Second question is, on the last show, I say, hey, don't listen to the guys on CNBC. Don't listen to Kramer. Don't listen to what you read. Make your own investment decisions. I will clarify that a little bit, quantify it maybe a little bit, and give you uh, an answer on, hey, where do I do get some good stock information? Where do I do get my tips? Where do I get my successful investment advice? And I will say I had a stock this week go up. Uh, it went from it went up 15% in one day because Home Depot is looking to buy it. And I finally sold. I actually sold a lot of shares last year to buy my house, restore my house. So a lot of the money, and unfortunately, I sold it at $26 a share, and this year it's at 89 So needless to say, if I had waited a year, I'd have a little bit more money uh, in my bank account. Uh, but um, it is, such is life. Uh, quite frankly, my the investment in my house has, while it hasn't gone up that much, in terms of the, it hasn't gone from twenty six to eighty six dollars in the stock. It has. Uh, I, I did make a very, uh, at least so far, very savvy. I don't really look at it as investment because I'm not looking to move. But um, ultimately, I will. Um, maybe not me. Probably my kids will benefit financially from buying the house uh, where we did. But anyways. So we'll have kind of an economics, little finance segment to wrap things up. First things first. Let's talk about these conferences. So in the past, I actually have gone to the Industry Summit, which uh, I freely promoted for several years. It was located in Las Vegas. I believe the show started uh, under different management ownership. It started in uh, Hawaii, I believe. And I think they even made a trip back there uh, not too long ago. But the, the conference switched to Las Vegas and began setting record attendance after record attendance. In part, I can't really think of any other reason other than I was promoting I was promoting the shows. I was telling group breakers you should go. I was telling bloggers you should go. Other websites started sponsoring other websites that had never even heard of the show, had no interest of going to show, started sponsoring it and buying booths at the show. Attendance records were set year after year as I and my brother were freely promoting the show. And then the owner of the show or the manager of the show, Kevin Isaacson, made one of the biggest blunders of his career, and that was to quote-unquote ban (laughs) me, my brother, from the show. And so we promptly said, eh, probably not worth going to the show. And ever since then, literally, I'm not exaggerating here. The attendance to the show has fallen off. Panini has been known to give black boxes for those that have attended the show. For those of you who collect cards, you're probably aware of the Panini black box cards that exist. Panini did not give out a black box at the most recent industry summit, a sign that the attendance, the interest, the prestige, the shine of the Industry Summit has worn extraordinarily thin. And that is due to poor leadership, poor management, and management which essentially looked the gift horse in the mouth and said, no, thank you. And no other sports podcast, no other sports website, believe it or not, can blow you up 
or tear you down more than Sports Card Radio and the Sports Card Show podcast. So watch out what you say to me and my brother because we have the ability to turn your show from record-setting attendance to in the doghouse to now you're up against Upper Deck and Tops have their own competing shows. Upper Deck is going to have their diamond. I think it's the second annual. Last year was in Arizona. This year it's going to be held January 9th through the 11th in beautiful Orlando, Florida. So for those of you on the West Coast, a little bit of a trek to get out there. And I can imagine it will be uh, primarily East Coast dealers at that conference. But January 9th through the 11th, um, I, again, this is not a show I'm going to attend. I want to attend. Uh, you know, even Offer me you know, low five figures, and I still wouldn't go. Okay, I have no interest in going, flying to Orlando, Florida, and hanging around in uh, a conference room with a bunch of sweaty guys, um, you know, considering the humidity in Florida. So, but January 9th through the 11th, I did, that being said, you know, after I rip it, I did hear positive things about the show. And I think if you're a Upper Deck dealer, obviously you have to be a diamond dealer, but um, if Upper Deck is a big part of your sales or whatever, probably worth uh, attending. Or if you, you know, say you're on the, ver- say like Upper Deck's like a good seller for you and you think by going there, meeting the company, maybe meeting other dealers, seeing what they do with the products, that could put you over the edge. I think it could be worth going to. Obviously, if you're if you're near Florida, anywhere in the, you know, southeast part of the country, it's a far, it's, it's you know, it could be not that far of a drive for you, let alone a little plane ride over to Orlando, Florida. But, you know, anywhere west of, of Texas, and it's quite a trek to, you know, it's quite a flight to get out to, to Orlando, Florida. It'd be quite a, quite a trip. But January 9th through the 11th basically kicks off the conferences. Next on the calendar, I believe this is the first annual TOPS conference. I don't, I don't know what they industry conference. I don't know what they're calling it, but we'll call it the TOPS conference. That is February 17th through the 20th in equally beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. Shout out to our listeners in the Scottsdale, Arizona, Arizona area. Uh, Scottsdale is beautiful, home of spring training for many uh, teams out there. And February 17th through the 20th is right when you really start getting excited about uh, Major League Baseball. They might even have uh, spring training going on then. So I could imagine maybe some prospects or, or some baseball players might, um, might and, you know, I, I can't guarantee this, but I could imagine maybe some of them will be on the schedule. Again, that's February 17th through the 20th. It is the first annual. So who knows what to expect there? However, I will say that given it's the first annual, I'm sure Tops is is probably looking to establish this event. I'm sure they will have plenty of giveaways, a gift bag, and et cetera, to uh, reward the people that make the trek out to Scottsdale, Arizona. And certainly if you're a West Coast dealer and you do a little bit of upper deck, you do a little bit of Tops and you had to pick here, I'd probably rather make the short flight, be a cheaper flight to Scottsdale, probably cheaper to stay there too. There's just less, um, although with the, with the baseball there, with the spring training, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but I can imagine spring training is, is probably, at least pitchers and catchers are probably reporting by that time. So 
Um, it could be a little more expensive, but Scottsdale is not quite the tourist area as Orlando, Florida is. It's more, uh, you know, you got Disney World, I think, and all Epcot Center and all that in Orlando, Florida. So it might keep up, uh, might, might uh, elevate prices in terms of hotels and flights and stuff out there. But if you're a West Coast dealer, much more comfortable flight to uh, heading over to Scottsdale. And if you do a lot of top stuff and you do a lot of tops, uh, cards and things like that, I could imagine that's probably worth going to and probably worth establishing a relationship. If you if you do a lot of top stuff and you're not direct with tops and you want to be, I think, you know, obviously you need a hobby shop and all that, but I think going to that event and rubbing elbows a little bit could be your way to to get approved. Or I, again, I don't know how hard it is to get approved to be a tops direct dealer, or if they're you know it, it's something that that takes a while or whatever. But I could imagine if you attend this conference, and that's on your mind, that's on your agenda of things to accomplish. Being there is probably going to be um, highly a highly effective way and a highly effective use of your time. Finally. If that's not enough sports card shows, and again, when I would attend the industry summit, the vi- and this was when the economy was doing not quite as well as it is, is now, but um, cards in general were, the, the card economy wasn't, wasn't terrible. It's probably about the same as it was now, but the, the general feeling, the general attitude in the room was not one of truly balling, okay? Because the industry summit was held at the Orleans. Pretty much everybody I knew would stay at the Orleans and pretty much anybody that was balling would stay off, uh, you know, outside the Orleans because if you've ever been to the Orleans, you would not want to stay there. So, and that was really nobody in the uh, card community. But if you do want to attend the original industry summit, it's now I think called uh, maybe the Beckett Industry Summit. I don't know what they're calling it, but that is held between January, excuse me, February 25th through the 28th. This year it's in, uh, I wouldn't say beautiful, it's in Dallas, Texas. Okay, not exactly Orlando, Florida, not exactly Scottsdale, Arizona, certainly not. Uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and certainly not uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, or whatever it was held in Hawaii. So the industry summit has retreated to Dallas, Texas, likely to appease Beckett, to appease the cost of that. You also have, I believe, Panini America located essentially on the same street as Beckett. I think Leaf uh, and a couple other scumbags are located there in Texas as well. And so whether or not the black box returns, I don't know, but I can imagine the attendance to this event is going to, again, trend in the, in the wrong direction because it's not in Vegas, it's not in Hawaii, it's, it's I believe it has new, uh, I don't believe, I can't quote me on this, but I don't think Kevin Isaacson is involved, so in that sense, it might be a, a, a conference that could turn things around, could start to um, you know get get the attendance back going in the right direction. I don't know, but I just I do know if I was an upper deck guy, if I was a tops guy, I'd much rather go to their conference. Um, I, I I can imagine that upper deck and tops. I don't even know if they'll end up attending the industry summit. They they literally thirty days 
you know, 30, 40 days prior to that, they have their own conference. And, and it's not, not cheap or free to attend these kind of things, especially when you've got employees going out there. So I can imagine, again, I don't know this for a fact, but I can imagine Upper Deck and Tops is present at the Industry Summit in Dallas, Texas, might not be as great as it has been in the past, primarily due to them having their own conference and then also the location. The location is far more beneficial to Panini, far more beneficial to Beckett and Leaf and maybe a couple other companies that uh, hang out in the Dallas, Texas area. But um, those are your conferences that you have to choose from. Um, you know, God bless you if you try to attend all three. Can imagine maybe there's a handful of shops or a handful of dealers out there that that will attempt to do that. Obviously, the distributors are probably going to try to have a presence at all three. I can imagine. Um, so we'll see. But I think I think it's going to be it. It's th- this is probably a good idea. But with three conferences, I think the pro the the only problem I see is you're gonna it, the the attendance, the interest, the effectiveness of these conferences is going to be fragmented, okay? Because you're going to have people that pick one or the other, maybe two out of the three, or none. Maybe now that there's so many to choose from, actually picking one and attending one might end up not being profitable for you. Certainly, if, you, if you're located in anywhere in the east, Northeast uh, or northeast or the northwest part of the country, all these locations are not close to you. And if you're out here in California, it may not, uh, you know, none of these locations, again, are that, that close to you as well. So we'll see what the attendance is like. But for me personally, if I was somebody uh, looking to attend these shows, I'd probably pick the product, the the company, the product that I sell the most of, or the product that I think that generates the most profit and the mo- mo- and, ge- and presents the best opportunity going forward in 2018 and going forward. And then I would attend that conference. So if it's Upper Deck, I'd go to their conference. If it's Tops, I'd go to their conference. If it's Panini, I would make sure that they're going to have a present at this industry summit because, like I said, last year, they didn't even give away a black box. And so that that's just shows to me that they, well, number one, they're trying to cut cost. Um, but I can imagine, the you know, whether or not you get a black box this year, I think it is not dependent on, on Panini having a, pre, a presence. If they don't have a presence at a, a baseball card conference that is in, in located in the same city that they manufacture, quote-unquote, manufacture cards in, then, ugh, good Lord, they must be straight broke because um, they, they have to have a presence there. If you do a lot of Beckett grading, I could imagine, you know, I don't think a lot of people are selling a bunch of Beckett magazines anymore. I have a really interest in, in that or, or doing a bunch of business on their website, but... If you do do a decent amount of business with Beckett, I could imagine that that could be the summit or that could be the conference for you. Obviously, if you have a distributor or something like that forking over money for you to go, 
probably worth going. But if you're paying out of your pocket, I think I'd I'd pick the pick the company that best represented your sales, your opportunity for the next couple of years, and go from there. And hey, if you're a blogger or if you're um, you know, whatever, you, you know, a, a blogger slash collector, I think you could pick one of these. Con- I think Upper Deck, you have to be a diamond dealer. So that is probably out of the question for most just random people. But uh, again, don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure the tops one, you probably could swing getting in there. And the Beckett one, probably too. And if you did kiss Upper Deck's ass a lot, you probably could get into the conference. But, um, that's not going to happen with uh, with me, even if it was down the street. They, uh, for whatever reason, they uh, they only pay attention to the negative and uh, the 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 negative things that we do here on the Sports Card Show podcast. Even though we have thou- over two thousand articles published on our website, we have um, several thousand followers on YouTube and several hundred videos uh, there that are all almost 99.9% positive, except for the one that I did on Panini that the Washington Post ended up publishing on their website. So when I do publish a negative uh, article or a negative video about the hobby, it typically gets picked up by uh, major news outlets like the Washington Post. But anyways, moving on. 2017 Topps Transcendent Baseball is out. And if you have $27,000, no, I didn't say $270. I did not say $2,700. I said $27,000. That is how much it costs to buy a box of these cards. And I will say, I just bought myself a Christmas gift. It's an 18 karat gold watch. And I did not spend $27,000. I could have bought uh, two of them for that price. So props to you guys out there that are, that want to drop $27,000 on some cardboard with men's pictures on them. But uh, for me, it's not really my thing. But my point, that's not really my point is, there were 87 boxes of Topps Transcendent Baseball comes out. So we can take $27,000 and times that by 87. And again, I'm not a brilliant mathematician, but my calculator says $2,349,000. If those boxes are all sold for $27,000, no markup, no shipping cost, just straight 20, no tax. That is a $2.35 million product that needs to be opened during the busiest and most extensive shopping time of the year. Time of the year when we're buying gifts for other people. When we're traveling, too. I know a lot of people that are traveling during the holidays, okay? And that's not free, okay? i got to fill up my gas. Uh, my, my Mercedes is on empty. So i got to fill, fill it up before we go to Christmas Eve, before we go to uh, Christmas. Got to put, you know, $70 or $80 worth of gas in the car. Some of you guys might be, might be traveling uh, uh, by plane, or traveling long distances. 
My point is, I honestly don't think that the card econ- the baseball card economy, let alone the entire sports card economy, can, can support a product that requires $2.35 million. Think about that. Okay, I saw group breakers. The way they, they typically uh, open this product is, I think it was about $159, $160 per spot. And each spot guaranteed you a card. So it was like a random and they would just, I, I don't know exactly how they did it, but basically you bought in a spot and it got you a random card within the box. And it was like 150 cards in the box or something. I don't really know. But there's a lot of cards in the box, and breakers essentially charge you uh, about a is about a hundred, you know, right around the price. The prices I saw is about hundred and sixty dollars to buy into one of these breaks. That is a lot of money, and then we're doing this over eighty-seven different boxes. And again, you're asking your customers, you're asking the card community to fork over two point three five million dollars. During Again, during a time when we're buying gifts for our kids, buying gifts for our parents, buying gifts for our nieces and nephews, or if you're like me, you said, screw everybody else, I'm going to buy myself what I want, and you guys all can get lumps of coal. That's not really what I said, but I did buy myself a nicer gift than anything I bought somebody else. So needless to say, I don't have $160 to spend on a break. And I can imagine a lot of you guys out there Sure, taking one shot, two shots, maybe even three shots at this is something you could afford. It's something that's within your budget. But again, we're looking at $2.35 million. That, uh, and that, that's crazy. And there is a Hank Aaron uh, party invitation, which I believe you have to RSVP by. Well, I believe the party is like on the 15th or 16th of January. And I think you have to RSVP to the party the first week of January. So in order to get the value out of that invitation, you need to open this product within a very short amount of time. We're talking not even 30 days. So not even 30 days, Tops is basically trying to squeeze $2.35 million out of the hobby. It's a bad idea. I've heard from other collectors, other people, that less than 30 of these cases have been opened out of the 87, so barely a third, not even a third of the cases. And that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that there is not $2.35 million in the sports card community. That's just a lot of money, okay? That's a lot of money in the even the shoe world, okay, to launch $27,000 Air Jordans and expect to sell 87 of them. It, I mean, maybe that's not a great comparison, but with group breaks, it's again, it's then being divided amongst a bunch of other group breakers that are all selling the same amount of spots. And there's hundreds, you know, hundreds of spots per break. It's just a lot, a lot to ask. I think Topps Transcendent Baseball would do better, in my opinion, is if Topps, I'm not saying can the product or I, I don't really have an opinion. It's not a, a product. I am looking to buy Hank Aaron passes. If any of you guys listening have one for sale, 
I I am interested. I'm seriously interested in buying one of those, maybe even two. But it's not a product I'm I'm really interested in or really critiquing from that point of view. Really, what I think this product could do better at is if it was released, if it was one of the first high-end products that was released, if it was one of the first products released with high-end Aaron Judge cards in there, I think the, the set would be on absolute fire. But at this point in the season, Aaron Judge has 30, 30 or 40 other cards uh, along with other parallels that you have already bought and you've already spent your money on. I think this product would be much better April, May, June, July, August, September, anywhere in that range in my opinion, would be a far better release date for a $27,000 product requiring a $2.35 million economy from the baseball card collector community. I also would you know, give people a little more time to plan to go to whatever party, whatever reception is attached to this. Tops is literally, I think they released this on like the you know, last week, like on the 12th or 15th of December, and they literally want you to RSVP to a party that's less than 30 days away. They want you to RSVP to it 30, you know, like 20 days later. How many of you can go through the holidays, spend uh, up upseen an amount of money on cards, on gifts, and then tell your wife, oh yeah, in two weeks, I'm going to fly to Atlanta or last year it was in Vegas or wherever it is and say, hey, I'm going to go uh, slap hands and slap asses with uh, Hank Aaron and some baseball card collectors. I don't know about you, but it's not, not always the easiest thing you can do. Not just from a money perspective, but if you have a wife and a kid's and you you know maybe you got to get off work maybe you got to your wife's got to get off work to take care of the kids i don't know just seems like a lot to ask from the card community in a a time of the year when number 1 baseball's not on the front of everybody's mind number 2 it's at the tail end when whatever hot rookie is in there is no longer as hot as they once were I think a product like this would do better if it was one of the first high-end products rather than basically the last high-end product of the year. Not to mention Topps came out with Bowman's Best. Panini had a flawless product come out, which is like a $1,000, $1,500 product. Not to mention Panini's had numerous other products that has come out. So if you're a breaker, you know, I can imagine if you're a breaker... You're like trying to sell $160 spots to this transcendent and trying to fill those breaks because it's quite a commitment financially for you to sell this stuff. Because if you commit to selling it, you definitely want to sell out. But then you've taken all that money. I mean, if two, imagine if we do sell out on all the breaks, $2.35 million worth of breaks in 30 days. I guarantee you there's like no money left. Uh, even with, uh, I'm sure most of these guys are buying it on credit card and they're trying to flip these cards. There is no money left in the card community after $2.3 million gets spent. And by the card community, I mean primarily the card breaking community. The people that log on to third world websites and, and, and break this stuff. This is a very, 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 very small niche, tiny community. 
when you talk about the entire sports card community. If the entire sports card community, the people that attend shows, the people that just casually collect, the guys that just buy a Target, the guys that just buy sets and buy cards on Check Out My Cards or buy cards on eBay and build sets or get rainbows or, or just player collect, if they were buying into these breaks, they had an incentive to buy into these breaks, $2.35 million is not that much money. But again, we're talking about a tiny sub-segment of the hobby community is it number one buys into breaks. We're talking about like a small, small, single digit percentage of people that collect cards buy into breaks. It's probably like less than 5% of all collectors buy into breaks. So it's a very, very small community. And to ask them to spend $2.35 million when you've just gone and bought Christmas gifts and you know, if you're like me, you're a business owner. The end of the year is when you like, you know, and we, I know we just got our taxes cut, so it's not as big of a deal for me, but um, this year, really. And I, I can imagine if Trump doesn't show his taxes and he doesn't, you know, I can imagine the IRS is not going to audit a bunch of people. Uh, uh, you know, I still will be careful and do my taxes properly, but um, not quite as worried about an audit as I was uh, under the Obama administration. But anyways, you know, if you're like me and you have a business, like I'm looking to see, well, what can I buy here in the last uh, two weeks of the year so I can expense it for 2017? What computer can I buy? What advertising could I buy? Uh, You know, sometimes I forward buy domains and hosting and all this other stuff. You buy it two, three, four years in advance and, and you credit you, you basically accrue all those expenses all in 2017. So there's all that going on within, with, within the world, uh, uh, you know, the world in general, and Topps is expecting us to spend $2.35 million on a product. I, I'm not shocked, not surprised that people, that only a third or barely a third of these boxes have been opened. It's just a big ask, and I think if Topps was smart, they would um, they would rethink how they they distribute this product because I really don't think it's sustainable to do it at this time of year. Moving on, maybe that's a New Year's resolution we can make for Topps: put Transcendent out as a mid-season kind of maybe first, second one of the first high-end products so people can be really excited about the high-end cards. But, you know, again, this point in the year, we've already had 10 other high-end sets from Tops that have nice cards. And there's plenty of nice Aaron Judge cards that you can buy at this point. Not to mention Bo Jackson and Hank Aaron and, you know, Rod Carew, et cetera, et cetera. Moving on. New Year's resolutions. This is a semi, I believe this is a semi-regular thing that we've done on the Sports Card Show podcast. If you go throughout our archives, I'm sure you can find the other years that we've done New Year's resolutions for the card companies. Occasionally, I squeak in the group breakers. I don't know if I have any New Year's resolutions for them. Other than get off the third world breaking sites and get onto YouTube, Facebook Live. I mean, there, there's your two sites you should be breaking on. YouTube and Facebook Live, period. If you want to do Twitch as well, that's fine. But anything else, 
That's a third world site. You need to get off that. It just doesn't make any sense. Panini. Tops and upper deck will be this year's New Year's resolution. Uh, New Year's resolution uh, participants and recipients from the Sports Card Show podcast. Panini, New Year's resolution number one for them. I believe they need to respond, or at least have a canned response to criticism. Several tweets, multiple, multiple tweets from Lonzo Ball, autograph discrepancies. Uh, last week, I think it was Andre Risen. Somebody showed some really, really compelling evidence that Andre Risen uh, wasn't signing, definitely wasn't signing all his cards. Obviously, we had the Dak Prescott autograph scandal, which Beckett tried to allow Panini to cover up. Panini didn't respond to that for several days, and all of a sudden it got picked up by ESPN, got picked up by Sports Card Radio, which that article as well got uh, picked up multiple outlets, including the Washington Post. Panini needs to respond to criticism, even if it's a canned response. I mean, these guys literally act like, like I've got, like literally, this year alone, 2017 alone, I've gotten more athletes and celebrities to respond to me on Twitter. Chad Ochocinco, in particular, has responded to me twice. I know he's a prolific tweeter. There's been other times where I've had athletes and celebrities respond to me, and even other companies. I remember I, had a, I bought a paint sprayer, and I, I uh, tweeted at the company, and they... they uh, they liked it or they responded and then they, they followed me. And, th- and that happened for multiple companies this year. Panini, I, I don't think they've responded to me all year. And, and it's not really me I'm looking to respond to. They have paying customers. I haven't bought anything from Panini all year. Panini has paying customers saying, hey, what's up with this autograph? What's up with this? What's up with that? And they don't respond. Just at the very least, have a canned response. For God's sakes, you can be sitting on a tarmac or sitting in an airport and tweet at American Airlines or Southwest Airlines or Delta. These are multi-billion, with a B, multi-billion dollar companies. Panini is is barely a multi-million dollar company, barely. You can tweet at an airline which has thousands and thousands and thousands of customers all across the world and is a multi-billion dollar company and they'll respond to you. I see on Twitter all the time, somebody tweets at Delta or tweets at American Airlines or whatever and they get back to them. I've seen other examples of this from many multi-billion dollar companies. Panini can't even do that. It just shows you how little they care. They don't care about you guys. They can't even respond to Twitter. It's not like their mentions are being blown up. Again, I have athletes that get blown up all the time. American Airlines, you can imagine, gets blown up all the time. They respond to you. Literally, these guys aren't that busy. These guys don't even make the cards. They don't lay out the cards. They don't design the cards. They have some guy in the Philippines that does that. That's why there's always all these little mistakes and all this stuff on there that doesn't make sense. And the de- design looks like a four-year-old. It's because they're getting somebody that works for $12 a day to do it. 
I don't understand what these guys do. Panini uh, puts out a blog, well, like maybe one blog post a day that's like 300 words. And that's it. They can't even get back to you. It's crazy. You need to respond to criticism. Next thing Panini needs to do, tighten up the branding a little bit. It's gotten maybe a little better. I think they've tried to implement this strategy. They just haven't gotten quite as good at it. But but what I mean by tighten up the branding, we've got all these different set. Ascension, Crown Royale, uh, Panini Totally Certified, Panini Certified, Panini This, Panini That, Panini This, Donruss This, Score This. It's too much. You need Series 1, Series 2, Update. Series 1, Series 2, Chrome. I mean, obviously, I don't know if they can use the Chrome moniker, but something like that. A more Series 1, Series 2 update strategy would clean up this brand a little bit. Honestly, it would reduce costs, too. Imagine Tops. They come out with a design for Series 1, and it's literally the design for Series 2. It's the design for Tops Update. It's the, top, the, it's the design for Tops Chrome. They come out with one design, and they use it four different times. Same with Bowman. Come out with a design. They use it for Bowman, Bowman Chrome, Bowman Update, or Bowman Draft, or whatever. Panini could do the exact same thing, but they're, they're you know, again, not sure exactly how intelligent the people are that are running that company. Not exactly sure how much they care. Actually, I'm exactly sure how much they care. It's zero. but I think they could tighten up the branding. That would be a good thing. Lastly, clearly label player warning game worn. People really don't care. Okay. The, the average collector, and I'm talking about the guy that just buys a pack here and there, the guy that's buying it for his son, especially kids. They're not going to open a pack of cards and be like, Oh gosh, it's player worn. Yes, the diehards, the blowout forum posters, the people that listen to Sports Card Show podcast, there is, there, there is a difference between player worn and game worn. That is a small segment of the card community, but I still think it's worth labeling those the distinction between a player worn and game worn. Panini often blurs the lines or they don't label it at all. There's a lot of amb- ambiguity uh, between uh, behind the way they label certain things. I don't think it hurts the value. It doesn't hurt the value a ton when it's player-worn, and it actually enhances the value when it is labeled game-worn. So I think there, there's, a, there, there's really not a lot of downside in clearly labeling player-worn versus game-worn. Because again, like I said, player-worn it's not a big deterrent. It is to diehard collectors, but not so much the casual guy or the, the diehard collector that's just going to buy it either way. And labeling a game worn, will, uh, you will pick up some of the really uh, stingy and sophisticated collectors, connoisseur type collectors, will go after the game worn stuff. So it'll make stuff a little bit more valuable, a little more collectible. Increase the resale value. 
Just have a little more, tran- I think in general with Panini, have a little bit more transparency. It's not, it's not going to hurt your company. What hurts your company is people complaining and then you don't say anything. You try to cover it up and then all of a sudden ESPN, then all of a sudden you're on ESPN and the Washington Post and New York Times and all over the place for creating a scandal. Or I end up making a video about the, the flawless, the Panini flawless a few years ago. They came out with flawless and they, they, the Panini claimed, they, I mean, they lied that they meant to label some of them player warning game warning. That was a dead lie. Absolute dead lie. So I made a video about it and that video was, again, put up under the Washington Post. If you had a little bit more transparency, those things wouldn't happen to you. You wouldn't put that bad taste into collectors' mouths. So Panini, respond to criticism. Tighten up your branding. Stick with the sets that work. Stop all this other, the Ascension and totally certified. And gosh, I could have our, you know, over at Sports Car Radio, we have a, uh, the release date calendar. I could bring that up. There's Panini, Score, Donruss, this, that, and the other. There, I mean, there's 5 million different sets. Tighten it up a little bit and clearly label uh, player warning, game warning. Moving on, tops. Not a, not a ton here, but what I would like to see from tops is more from a business perspective. Increase or continue the d- direct to consumer push that they've been doing. They've been driving you to their website more with tops now, with other tops products there. I would continue that. Okay, I'm not saying give up on your store dealers or you know give up on stuff like breakers or whatever, but I would continue to push people to your own tops.com and people to buy from you. And I would create, you know, Panini's done this thing with first off the line. Tops could do something similar. Have like pre pre-released products or have uh you know, cer- certain inserts only found in the website. The other thing I think Tops could do is experiment with a little bit more uh, package variation, okay? Maybe sell packs too, okay? That's, w- that's one thing. It's kind of hard as a collector. If you go to Target and Walmart to buy your packs, you know they're going to be getting searched through. And they're going to be searched. If you don't live near a hobby shop, and they don't carry the product that you're looking for, it's hard to buy packs of cards. And I think that's a, a market that, ta- again, not, there's no, not really any online dealers that are, are doing that kind of thing. I think that could be a, and that's small and it's light. Okay, from a shipping perspective, that's exactly what you love, small and light. So I think more direct-to-consumer, more packaging options, because really in the hobby, we have hobby boxes, and we have retail boxes. You know what I mean? Occasionally when you go to Target, they have like the hanger boxes or the mega boxes or whatever. I think they could do more of that uh, front on their own website. So Tops could have more package variations. Instead of just a hobby box and just a retail box or a hobby pack or retail pack, have something, you know, offer us more than just that. 
don't offer jumbo through hobby, but offer jumbo through your website. Things like that, I think a direct-to-consumer strategy for Tops definitely be highly effective. I think their brand is strong enough. I know they had their website got hacked and stuff, and that that happens. Um, you just got to be careful when you're when you're shopping through all, all these all these websites. Panini's included. I've heard a lot of stuff. You know, everybody that I've heard shop through Panini, their credit card gets hacked. So be careful if you're shopping through Panini. You might want to use. Um, you know, you definitely, if you're using a credit card, just keep keep a really close eye on that card. And, um, you know, one thing you could do is use a card that you have a really low limit. So you don't ever get, you know, I, you know, when you get char- when you get fraudulent charges on a credit card, usually it's a phone call away from getting them taken off. But it is kind of a pain in the butt. You probably don't want to use a card that you rely on regularly because, when you do get when you do get fraudulent charges, they have to send you a new card, and there's a waiting period there. And if it's a card you have to use a lot, it's kind of a pain in the butt. Second, New Year's resolutions for tops. I was elevate the quality a little bit. I say this on a show where we talked about where they have a twenty seven thousand dollar product, and the cards do look kind of nice. I've never held one or in person or seen one in person, but I can imagine they're pretty nice cards for a twenty seven thousand dollar box. They better be. But I've seen, uh, you know. The quality on the Tops Now cards are less because they're getting imprinted out, I think, essentially on like uh, almost like an inkjet or something like that. It's not really the traditional printing process, I believe. So the card stock's thinner. The the quality of the card is, is not nearly as nice. But I've seen other complaints about, um, you know, the cards in general not being as high quality. And I can imagine, you know, some of these sets, I can, you know, top series one, series two, some of these mass produced sets, I can imagine, you know, shaving off a, a, you know, tenth of a cent on each card does save you a lot of money. But I don't know if you really need to do that if you're tops. I've seen a lot, a lot of complaints on the quality of the cards, the quality of the imaging, the the card stock in particular. I think if I was tops, I, I'd I'd pay attention to those little small details because that's really how you're going to separate yourself among collectors. Is have nice quality at a, at a reasonable price, and people are going to be satisfied with their purchase. So I'd go from there. Lastly, Upper Deck. This will be the last company we talk about. And I have only one, I literally have only one New Year's resolution for Upper Deck. And that is to call Fanatics, F-A-N-A-T-I-C-S. This is a privately owned company. I believe the MLB, the NBA, I think even MLS, or maybe the NHL, one of those, or maybe both, have made an investment into this company. And this company runs a website where they sell um, primarily... Licensed apparel, jerseys, t-shirts, sweatshirts, but they've also made a foray into, they, they have their own card show, they have, um, they have exclusive athletes that they've signed, they have, um, I think, maybe some repackaged products, or recently I, what I've seen is they had, I think, pucks signed by hockey players, and it's basically a, a box with a, a random, it's like a, a box of pucks. It's just one puck, but you buy a box and it has a random puck in it. So you might get Wayne Gretzky or you might get, you know, some guy you never heard of. Um, so I think Fanatics is a company that will probably likely one day want to get into the card 
making business or the card selling business. And I think the way that they would do that is by buying one of the three companies that I've mentioned, Panini, Tops, Upper Deck. In my opinion, if I was Fanatics, Upper Deck would be the most attractive because number one, Panini and Tops are going to be more expensive from an acquisition perspective. Panini's got a good, good strong cash flow from their soccer stickers and kind of global business. There's also two separate businesses there. You got the Panini America business. You've got the business over in overseas that does comic books and stickers and all this other stuff. Then you've got Tops, which also has two different business models: it has the baseball cards, but it also has the candy. Upper Deck is the cleanest, cleanest card company that um, is worth buying. They also have relationships with LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, et cetera, et cetera. Wayne Gretzky, I believe as well. So they have, to me, that would be the most attractive uh, from a purchase perspective. They also have the hockey license. But again, I guarantee you if Fanatics bought Upper Deck, don't be surprised when the the licenses come come around the uh, you know uh, the next time they need to be renewed lo and behold upper deck gets the license because guess who has an investment into the company well at that point the nba the mlb mls nhl have investments into fanatics so it's actually in their best interest to give a license either an exclusive or a partial license to that company so in that sense, in that sense, I'd actually think it would be really good for the hobby if we could get Fanatics into uh, Upper Deck in particular, because what I think it would do would actually almost guarantee that the exclusive license would, um, I, I wouldn't guarantee it, but I think there'd be a great shot that the exclusive license for trading cards would go away because the leagues would have an incentive to give at least a partial license to a company that they in part have an investment in. So if I was Upper Deck, I'd be picking up the phone right now, calling Fanatics and saying, hey, let's let's work something out. You've already got a card show. You've already got exclusive athletes. You've already sell cards and stuff on your website. You've got this great relationship with the leagues and the players and whatnot. It seems to me like it'd be a perfect fit. And for me, from a, an outsider business perspective, uh, I, if I was Fanatics, I wouldn't want to buy Panini. There's just too much other stuff going on there. I wouldn't want to buy Tops, although Tops would be, probably be my second choice. Upper Deck would make a lot of sense. It would get you a relationship with Michael Jordan. It would get you a relationship with LeBron James. It would get you a relationship with Wayne Gretzky and Tiger Woods essentially four of the biggest athletes in the world. I think that would be, um, that would be amazing. So hopefully again, for the, for the card world, that would be, that would happen. Finally, for all the card companies, Panini tops, upper deck leaf, anybody else out there, get on the forums, get on Twitter and, and respond to your customers. Be more transparent. You guys aren't, you know, it's it's not like you guys are, uh, you know, again, I get more interaction, more love from the athletes or from companies that are t- 10 times, 20 times larger than the whole card community. And you guys don't respond to your customers. It's ridiculous. You guys like 
try to avoid any kind of any kind of hate and it's like oh i'm going to block you i mean i'm blocked by like half of these companies anyways cuz you guys have thinner skin than a fucking you know 14 year old girl i mean it's ridiculous put down the cheeseburgers put down the soda put down the red bull put down the cards stop fondling the cards Go grab a set of nuts, attach it to your body, and realize that the customers come first. The customer is always right. You should be sucking the the customer off. That's what you should do. You should be clearly communicating with them. Take criticism head on. Have a sense of humor about it. When somebody criticizes you, have a little sense of humor about it. Moving on to our Economics 101 slash Make America Great Again segment. If you are one of the many people around the world, around the globe, that do not want to make America great again, shame on you, number one. Number two, podcast is over. You can turn it off. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. But for the rest of you that want to make some money, that want to get ahead in life, that want to improve yourself. When I started this podcast almost 10 years ago, I was dead broke, had no money. Knew at that point I had to change my ways. Knew that I did not want to be broke anymore. I did not want to be one of these people that lived paycheck to paycheck, that looked at other people living the good life. I did not want to be one of those people. I knew I had to change my ways, change my attitude, change my habits. And that's exactly what I've been doing over the last 10 years. And so far, so good. So first thing I want to do is address uh, two different emails. First one asked about, I, I, I said on the last show that I listened to a podcast about investing, podcasts about economics all the time. And the two that I want to recommend uh, in particular on today's show, that if you're looking for a, a podcast to listen to that talks about the stock market, talks about economics, talks about the economy, from a relatively rational perspective, first one, Power Selling, no, that's my own podcast. Power Selling Radio is my own podcast. Power Trading Radio. Power Trading Radio. Now, I will say with these podcasts, every 10 minutes, both these podcasts are in the financial service business. They make money by getting you to either Power Trading Radio gets you to buy, buy into classes and courses and whatever online or in person. And the other podcasts I get, he wants you to invest his money with you, with him. And that's for accredited investors. You really probably need... Fifty to 100000 or more, that'd probably be on the low end. They're probably looking for investors with a quarter million or more. So if you don't have that kind of money, don't bother uh, contacting them because it's really not, they're not profitable with you as a customer. Don't take that personally. Just know that in the investing world, you know, having $1,000 or $10,000 or even $100,000, really not, that, not a lot of money. You really need to have a quarter million dollars, half million dollars, a million dollars or more to invest. Then you get attention of just about anybody you want. Get all the advice and, and uh, parties and stuff thrown your way all the time. 
But if you have less than, less than that, you're pretty much on your own. But power training radio, in particular, when John O'Donnell is on the show, typically he's on the show um, weekly, but especially on Fridays when they do kind of a, a wrap-up. Uh, I, I really respect his opinion from an a, a economist perspective. He often gives you uh, a, a really good overview uh, of, the, of the economy from a non-biased perspective, from a non-political perspective. Again, a lot of these people that are commenting on the economy on CNN or MSNBC or even CNBC or Bloomberg, they're often interjecting their own political opinion. And that's, it's just not, that, that's not, that's not rational. If you have political bias towards one party or one candidate or the other, it's going to affect uh, the way you see the economy. The economy doesn't care who's president. The economy doesn't care who's in power, who's not in power. And the sooner you understand that, the sooner you embrace that, uh, the sooner uh, you can get the economy to start working for you. So Power Trading Radio, great podcast. I listen to it pretty much every day. It's five days a week. They've been talking a lot about Bitcoin recently, as most uh, investing podcasts do. They talk about the markets, talk about the oil markets, talk about gold and silver. Uh, they talk about futures and options trading and all this different stuff. But I definitely um, enjoy listening to that. Second podcast is Market Wrap with Mo. Again, this guy, every 15 minutes, he's going to want you to call him. And again, unless you have upper six figures to invest, it's not, he's not gonna, he really doesn't want you to call. But I will say, um, he, get, he has extensive experience monitoring the stock market, monitoring markets in general. And I, I, I don't always get a chance to listen because I'm starting to listen to a lot of Amazon podcasts and stuff like that too. So, and I listen to a poker podcast, which is like four or five hours long. So my, my podcast, you know, I can only get so many podcast hours in a week. But um, the times I really like to listen to market rap with Mo is when I'm a little confused or I'm a little, I, I'm unsure is probably a better way to put it. I'm unsure how, what, what's going on in the markets uh, or I, I want to listen to his opinion on gold or his opinion on the oil market. He's often very rational, very calm, uh, often very reassuring. Not always telling you, hey, everything's going to be all rosy and great, but he's a steady voice with a steady hand and somebody that I especially, I, both these podcasts I started listening to when the stock market was far lower and far more volatile than it is today. Today, it's just going up and up and up, basically. But when it was going up and then down and back up and down for four weeks and back up, I mean, you really have to have balls of steel sometimes, almost like the Bitcoin market. It's gone parabolic. It's gone back down. It's got bounced back up. It's going to go back down. If you don't have the balls and the stomach to handle that, then you shouldn't be in that market. And the stock market was that way for, for many, many, many years. Very, in fact, the stock market's historically not volatile right now. For the, for the last you know, 12 to 16 months, it's been historically very steady. That will change. And the minute that changes, I will listen to Market Rap with Mo. 
and he'll give me guidance on what to do and how to process all that. So those are the two podcasts that I listen to regularly. There are other ones out there, certainly other ones that I listen to and try to catch up on to, but those are the two that I listen to on a regular basis, primarily because they give you a rundown of the market on a daily basis. They're also regularly published virtually every day during the week. And on top of that, I've, I've picked up a lot of just general market knowledge and patience, and especially with listening to Market Rabbit Mo. Definitely developed a lot of patience and, um, and worked on my timing listening to both those podcasts, not just running out and buying the stock or running out and buying Bitcoin or whatever when it, you know, when, because everybody else is buying the stock or the coin or whatever. It's allowed me to have perspective and patience. And I think that's required if you want to be a successful investor. Next, uh, next, I don't have these questions in front of me, so I'm kind of going off the top of my head. But the next question came in through Facebook, and I've got to get back to this person, which I will do over the next day or two, since it is the holidays. I have some time here, not a lot to, not a lot of go- going on on Amazon or eBay. Although I did have a decent amount of sales on eBay. And I will say really quick, off topic, but... What I've always found is ending auctions on Christmas is a great idea. So I have uh, four, I had, you know, just some products that I had laying around. I, I sent them in Amazon. They didn't sell. I had them resent back to me. I had some board games and stuff that I couldn't sell on Amazon. Just, just some stuff that doesn't work on Amazon. So I'm actually auctioning it off. And I, I, I've noticed that I've already gotten some nice bids. And I think on Christmas Day, it's a night, you know, ending them late on Christmas Day is not a bad idea. People get tablets and they get gift cards and they don't get what they wanted. Or they get, you know, grandma gives them some cash, aunt and uncles send them some cash. So um, you, you, can, you can anticipate that people are ready to spend money um, literally right on Christmas Day. So I'm having some auctions in and I think, um, but I noticed today I had in the, uh, Christmas Eve Eve where literally the mail doesn't go out until uh, three days later, two days later. People are buying stuff and paying for it. So I thought that was surprising. I had, you know, about $100 in sales on Amazon too. But anyways, next question came in related to our previous podcast where I talked about, um, for me, investing is is all about discipline and it's about uh, your own, uh, developing your own strategy, developing your own ideals and developing your own investment, um, really your own investment strategy. And I'll go over my own investment strategy here in a minute to kind of give you a clear idea of what I'm talking about. But on the last show, I said, don't listen to Kramer when he says, bye, 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 bye. And you immediately open up your app and go buy stocks. Or you're listening to Market Wrap with Mo. Or you're listening to Power Trading Radio. Or you're listening to somebody on CNBC and he's like, I just bought Nike. I just bought uh, Apple. I just sold uh, Bank of America or whatever. And you run out and do the same thing. That is a massive, massive mistake. I don't care who it is. Does that mean I don't watch Jim Cramer? Does that mean I don't watch CNBC pretty much all day? Absolutely not. Does that mean I don't read the blogs and read Motley Fool, read Seeking Alpha? I even contribute on Seeking Alpha. Had an article published a couple weeks ago. I'll have another one published uh, probably next week. Does that mean I'm not consuming this information? No, I'm watching these shows. I'm taking it in. 
oftentimes I will, especially when it's a company, a smaller company that I've never heard of, or maybe a sector that I don't have any socks. So for example, um, I'm probably a little underweight oil stocks. I don't have enough exposure to that. I don't have enough exposure probably to the airlines or defense. So when those stocks are brought up, it, it kind of piques my interest. I probably am overexposed to uh, brands like Nike and retailers and consumer brands like Apple and Amazon. So I do when I do hear tips and stuff, I'll put the, put the stock on my watch list. But I will never, it's, it's, in fact, it's a rule. I don't have it necessarily written down. But after years and years of making mistakes, listening to Bloomberg, oh, go buy this stock, go buy this stock, and I would go buy it. And guess what would happen? I'd lose all my money. Okay, because typically the stocks, especially the smaller ones, okay, Apple, Amazon, Nike, they're, they're not going to go to zero, okay? But the small medical device company, the small retailer or whatever, those companies often go out of business, especially medical device, medical whatever, pharmaceutical, biotech. Those companies are always going bankrupt, going bye-bye. Where the idea is better than the business model and certainly better than the stock. And I can't tell you how many times that I'd be listening to a podcast, listening to Bloomberg or CNBC, and they'd have some analysts on there that obviously owned the stock or had clients that they wanted to get out of the stock, and they were on there pumping the stock, and I would stupidly go buy it. And a year or two later, I'd, have, you know, I'd be reverse split down to one share, and it'd be worth five bucks. That has happened to me many, many, many times over the last decade plus that I've been investing. Many, many, many times. Finally... Several years ago, finally I wised up and was like, I'm never doing that again, <laughs> okay? In fact, I was just listening to Market Mount Rap with Mo, a podcast I recommended. The guy recommended a, 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 a biotech company. And again, if it was five, six, seven years ago, I think the shares were only like three or four bucks, I probably would have went out and bought some shares. But instead, now I'm a disciplined investor. I put that stock in my watch list. Now, I think the, the, the listener wanted to know, you know, if I'm not taking advice from other people and kind of, uh, you know, acting on that advice, how do I ultimately end up buying shares of a company or end up making the decision to buy something? For me, personally, I have a background in finance. I took accounting classes. I took economics classes. I took personal finance classes. I took behavioral finance classes. I have a YouTube channel that's actually, uh, I wouldn't say like super popular, but I have uh, several videos with more than 10,000 views on it, which is not bad for a finance. Uh, I think I only have like 12 videos, 13 videos, and a few of them have gotten a lot of views where all I do, all I do on the channel is go over financial documents annual reports, quarterly reports, balance sheets, cash flow statements, income statements. Learning to read a balance sheet, learning to read cash flow, understanding cash flow, 
learning depending on what sector you're in. If you're in the apparel sector, if you're looking at a company like Nike or Under Armour, uh, knowing what to look for versus if you're looking at, say, Google or Microsoft, two completely different companies, Google, Microsoft, I would say really, actually, Google and Facebook are probably way more comparable. So Google and Facebook, they don't have a lot of inventory. I know that, that Google's selling like an electronic device, but it's, it's not that big of a deal for them. I think they have a phone too, but it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a business for them. Pretty much, they make all their money selling digital ads. Same with Facebook. Facebook's even more pure in that sense. Facebook makes almost all their money or pretty much all significant amount of money selling digital ads. They don't have inventory. They can't get stuck with inventory. Nike and Under Armour, completely different. They make shoes and they don't sell. Guess what? They got to sell them. They got to get rid of them somehow. And by getting rid of them at a cheaper price might hurt the next shoe that comes out or the next clothing line that comes out. Because instead of buying the $120 pair or the $220 pair, why don't I go get last year's model that's on clearance for $79.99? Big difference in, in how you would read Nike's balance sheet, Under Armour's balance sheet versus something like Google or Facebook. Also, how you value those businesses, how much you would pay for those businesses based on the revenue they generate, based on the profits they generate. Someone like Google and Facebook are making profits selling, again, a digital ad. How hard is that? And both, uh, both of them run off platforms that are essentially self-service where they don't even need, like I spend tens of thousands of dollars a year on like yeah, tens of thousands of dollars, almost $100,000 in ads a year between both sites. And I don't talk to a single employee. I don't ever interact with, I mean, like Google will, will assign me an account rep and, you know, it's usually some kid right out of college or whatever. I don't think I've ever, I've never been assigned, I probably don't buy enough on Facebook, but I've never been assigned an employee to actually contact me on Facebook. It's literally all done through computer. So far, far, far different business model than Nike where they need stores and they need employees and they need to manufacture this stuff in China and bring it over here and have it come over here in a timely manner and get it on the shelf and sell it through and et cetera, et cetera. And they have all these different channels where they sell it through Foot Locker, through their own website, through Kohl's, through uh, TJ Maxx and all these other places. So being able to understand what company you're looking into, what company you're analyzing, and being able to read basic balance sheets. Again, you can go to YouTube. You can pick up a finance book. If you don't have a background in finance, you don't have a background in in business, it will take you a little bit. I think maybe, you know, two weeks to a month of teaching yourself how to look at a balance sheet, how to look at a cash flow statement. After 30 days, I wouldn't say you'd be an expert. I'm certainly, you know, I'm in my second or third, almost third decade doing this stuff. 
but I've certainly gotten better over the years. And so for me personally, when I get a tip on a stock or I get, you know, somebody says, hey, I like this stock, the first thing I go do is go look at their balance sheet. Go look at their cash flow statements. Go look at their income statement. Go read through their documents. Go see how healthy the company is from a financial perspective. And I then form my own opinion based on what I'm seeing there. Based on the trends I'm seeing. Because you can look at quarter over quarter, year over year performance on all these documents. They show you year over year performance on sales, on revenue, on cash flow, on debt, on, on cash in the business, on equity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that is how you take yourself from being an investor that is kind of a fish swimming in the water of sharks to then you start becoming the shark. When you understand how to read balance sheets, when you understand how to analyze the company on your own, all of a sudden now you're the shark. If you're in the investing world and you can't look around and spot the sucker, then it's definitely you. If you're watching CNBC and you're in awe of the tips and the, 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 the lingo and all that and you're in awe, you're the sucker. If you're watching CNBC or reading financial advice and you're shaking your head, and you're reading it all with a, with a large degree of skepticism, you're the shark. If you are looking around the financial room and, and you can't spot the sucker, if you can't spot the fraud, not necessarily the fraud, but if you can't spot the sucker when you're watching CNBC, if you're not shaking your head every, I'd say 15 minutes at something that's said, you're not ready yet. You need to educate yourself. And again, like I said, two weeks to 30 days, give yourself a crash course. There's probably online courses, free online courses. You could probably find, uh, I've done this in the past where I, I've, 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 I think it was like on iTunes U. I don't know if that still exists anymore, but iTunes University, they'd have like courses from like Harvard on there. Courses, like I would, take computer science courses or, you know, and you, and they, you then go to like the course website, all the work is up there. You could buy the, if you wanted to, you could buy the book on eBay or whatever and, and follow along in the course, just like you were taking it. And I'm sure that is out there for reading balance sheets, dissecting balance sheets. If you search how to read an annual report, how to read a 10 Q document on YouTube, guess whose videos will show up? My videos. And those give you a kind of a broad overview of how to analyze a company from that perspective. Second thing you want to do is, again, just, I think, start with what you know. If you don't know anything about medical devices, and I'm speaking from my own perspective, if I don't know anything about science, I would routinely flunk science classes. I don't know anything about, uh, you know, device trials and medical, you know, stages and all that. I don't invest in any of that. Occasionally, I don't have it in my portfolio right now, but 
Occasionally, I'll just buy an exchange-traded fund or a mutual fund that is, uh, you know, health insurance or hospitals or medical devices or whatever, or drug makers. And it, you know, it does all the work for me. But I understand fashion. I understand buying ads on websites and on Google and Facebook and can understand that. I know what it's like to sell on eBay. I know what it's like to sell on Amazon. So I can, I can make those investing decisions on my own. I, can, I, can, I don't drink coffee, but I can go to a store like Starbucks or see the line out the door and appreciate a company like that. There no, you know, I, I use DirecTV. I have AT&T cell phone. I have AT&T internet. So I can appreciate an investment like AT&T or Verizon. I don't use any of Verizon services, but I'm an investor in Verizon. Second, t- second tip I would give you is, and this is kind of an overarching, especially now that the market's at all-time high, I don't really think you need to get really cute. And you know, when the markets are really running, you don't really have to get super cute and find the, the undercovered micro-cap stock. My saying that I say over and over on on Seeking Alpha when I'm talking to other investors that are often dumber than a doornail, they're trying to make the argument, oh, well, they can capture a little bit of the market and be a player. You know, Fitbit could make a watch. It's not going to be as good as Apple's. It probably won't be as good as Samsung. It might not even be good as Garmin, but hey, people are going to buy it and they're going to like it. For me, you don't get rich investing in bronze metals. You don't get rich investing in third place companies. It's no fun rooting for the Bengals year after year and they lose and they lose and they lose and they lose. I wouldn't buy season tickets if I was investing in the NFL. I wouldn't buy season tickets to the Bengals. I wouldn't buy season tickets to um, the Browns. Okay. You're not going to get rich investing in companies that are competing for third place, fourth place, fifth place. Think about cell phone makers. How profitable was it to invest in Nokia or BlackBerry? LG, Motorola, et cetera, et cetera. There's literally like one cell phone maker that makes a bunch of money. What about a software maker, Microsoft? Look at all the companies that they've destroyed over the years. Google, Facebook. How profitable is it to to invest in other search engines outside of Google? How many other search engines have really made a lot of investors a ton of money over the years? How many social media companies have made investors fortunes, millions and millions and millions of dollars outside of Facebook? Not many. And I can go on and on and on and on. Nike. How many sportswear companies have come and gone, come and gone from Reebok to Puma to And One to Champion? On and on and on and on and on. In my experience, if you want to be a really savvy investor, you need to formulate your own opinions. That doesn't mean not listening to other people's opinions. 
or getting quote-unquote tips from other people, but you always need to take that tip with a, a degree of skepticism and always do your own research. Always go into it that it's a bad investment, bad idea. That's always my, uh, you know, if I ever get a hot tip or whatever, I always am skeptical, always going into it saying, I'm not going to buy shares of this. This is a bad idea. But then if I research the balance sheet, research the company, research the sector that they are in, and see that, hey, this is a company that could compete for a gold medal. This is a a company that could compete to win the championship year after year after year after year. At that point, for me, then it's, it's worth probably making an investment depending on what valuation you're looking at, depending on the stock price, depending on your time frame. And that also is a big, big reason why if I'm on here saying, hey, I bought this stock, I bought this stock, I have a long time frame. I'm, 30, I'm 35 years old. I've got a long, long holding period for a lot of the stocks that I'm looking to buy. Some of you guys that are 55, 60 years old, you're going to be holding them far less time. You might not want to take the kind of risk. You might not want to buy the kind of companies that I'm buying. If you're younger than me, if you're like 18, 19 years old, you might want to be even more risky. Maybe you might want to be in this cryptocurrency Bitcoin world. Because who cares if you lose all your money when you're 18, 19 years old? If you could triple it up and get, get to a couple hundred thousand, then, then that'd be great. If you lose it all, who cares? You got 40 years to, to get it back. I've got to be a little more conservative. I've got, I've got a family. I've got a house. I've got no job. I literally have no job. So it's not like I can just be throwing money at, at investments that uh, don't make any money or lose all, I lose all my money at. So hopefully those tips help you out. As Again, as we move into this new year, as we move into an era where corporations have one of the lowest tax rates in the world. And I don't care what you think about Donald Trump, that is one of the greatest things that could happen to you if you're an investor, is having a lower corporate tax rate that is going to make any company that you invest in far more competitive than it was before that time. And that is why I always say, it doesn't matter who's in office, you can always figure out a way to, to take advantage of it. And with Donald Trump, it's investing in United States corporations because he just gave them one of the biggest gifts any president ever gave them. And if any of you guys think that the Democrats are going to reverse that, <laughs> you, you, have, you, you are the little minnow swimming around in a pond of fish and sharks. If you think that the Democrats are going to one day reverse the tax cuts that Donald Trump just gave corporations, you've got to be kidding me. Because guess who gives as much money, maybe even more, to the Democrat Party? Google. Facebook, God, they, they basically were on their knees trying to, you know, they were like a Bill Clinton when there's an intern in the office. 
When a Democrat walks through the door, Google and Facebook literally gets on their knees. So guess what? The, the, guess what? If a Democrat starts r- running on, oh yeah, I'm going to raise uh, Google and Facebook's uh, taxes, they're going to be like, uh, no, you're not. Because the, the corporations are going to get very used to having low taxes. And you can benefit. Okay. I started, I started investing with like 10 bucks. I remember I had a job. My very first, first investments were way back when I was 17 years old. I got a job. I think I was making like six, maybe not even $6 an hour. It was like $5 an hour. This was back in like 1998, 1999. I was making like $5 an hour. My dad was like, you're not going to spend that money. You're going to invest it. I was like, okay, cool. This was right during the dot-com boom. I literally like doubled my money in like a year. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm, a, I'm an invest. I thought I was like an investing genius. And then two years later, I had like, I didn't quite, I, I think I went down to about what I started with. I think I ended up putting about $1,000 in, doubling it, almost tripling it to 3000 And I think I went back down to about 1000 I wasn't invested in a, a lot of the high-flying stocks of the day. But it taught me. It taught me a lot. That Just that experience taught me a lot. But I started with very little money and still have some of those investments today that are worth way more than that. And then in 2008, I closed my card shop. Didn't really have any money. I actually was dead broke. But had a little bit of inventory, had a little stuff that I was selling on eBay. And the stock market crashed. And I was like, this is a great time to invest. A lot of these companies are, are going to be around in, in five, 10 years. And chances are, the economy is going to be a lot better. And by, by making that decision, I will probably never have to work again in my life. And by making that decision, I've really improved my lifestyle. Am I mega rich? Am I balling? Am I, you know, am I, you know, can I do anything that I want with my money? No, absolutely not. But can I take a really nice vacation with my family and stay in the nicest hotel, upgrade the view, eat at expensive restaurants? Absolutely. Can I buy a nice car? Absolutely. Can I buy my wife uh, an Apple Watch and a Vapor Ma- Air Vapor Max? Absolutely. Can I, you know, the, I had to put tires on my car the other day. It was like $1,100. Didn't, didn't, you know, is it like, does it hurt? Yeah, of course. I don't want to spend $1,000 on rubber. But, uh, so it hurt a little bit. But did, did I, you know, did I, could I still pay my rent and still, you know, do, do whatever I want? Absolutely. And that is because I'm a disciplined investor, disciplined financial. And I tend to look at the economy rationally. And, and I... And if you, if you just want to wake up every morning and be angry and be mad, have Donald, whatever Donald Trump say, put you on tilt, go be my guest, be my guest. You can, you, you can absolutely let that happen to you. But I think a far more, especially if you have a family, especially if you want to build for your future, see how you can benefit from the things that he has enacted. And, and the 20% uh, corporate tax rate is certainly something you can benefit from. Lastly, if you're my age, this is my final point. If you're my age and younger, 
anywhere around my age, I, I would say probably 40 years or younger, you're not going to get Social Security. You're not going to get Medicare. If you do, it's going to be a paltry sum. We're talking about probably barely enough to, to, to pay two days, three days of rent or for food. I'm going to repeat myself. If you're my age or really about 40 years or younger, you are not going to get Social Security. You're not going to get Medicare. It's not going to be Donald Trump's fault. It's all the other presidents combined before them that ran up a deficit that spent all the money that was going to go to you in the form of Social Security and Medicare. It is gone. That money is gone. That is why people ask me, oh, you know, why'd you vote for Donald Trump? And I'd always, you know, I have a liberal family out here in California, so 99% of my family is flaming liberal Democrat. They go, oh, well, how can you vote for Donald Trump? Oh, my God, do you see what he says? It's like, guys... I don't give a damn what he says. All I care about is in 30 to 40 years, really 30 years, I am not going to want to work. I am not. I mean, I don't work now. God knows in 30 years I want to work. I am not going to want to have to worry about money. In 30, I don't worry about money now, let alone 30 years from now. I am not going to get a check. And because I don't have a, a normal job and I typically write off a lot of expenses, show, don't show a ton of income for tax purposes, I don't contribute a lot to Social Security. So I'm, I'm especially not going to get any. But the money is gone. The $10 trillion debt or however big the debt is now these days, $19 trillion, I don't know what it is. It's a lot of money. That is all money that we owe to ourselves. The national debt is, is your Social Security, my Social Security, your Medicare, my Medicare, not your parents, not people that are probably 50 or the next maybe five to 10 years. Those people are probably going to get what they, about what they contributed, about what, what they thought they were going to get. But after that, that money is gone. It is gone. It's not coming back. They're not going to be able to raise taxes or raise the revenues enough to pay for it. What is, so what's going to happen? The government is not going to be able to guarantee Social Security or Medicare for people my age. They're going to say, you're SOL. So my final point is, that that's why I care so much about the stock market. That's why I care so much about my investments. That's why I care so goddamn much about my money and my future. And that's why I cared so much about voting for Donald Trump, despite having parents, but despite voting for Barack Obama twice and happily. And before that, I'm pretty sure I voted for, voted for Al Gore. I don't think I voted uh, the years when it was like, I think John Kerry ran. I don't think I voted at all. I don't think I voted at all during the Bush years, the Bush junior years. Except the first time. I remember voting for Al Gore and he, he sneaked. Al Gore had a great plan. The reason why I've, one of the reasons why I voted for Al Gore, he wanted to put, one of the things I remember him saying over and over, he was going to put Social Security and Medicare 
in a quote lockbox. You can go, I mean, I don't know how well it's documented, but that was one of his ta- main talking points was I'm going to put that in a lockbox, the funds in a lockbox so they don't get spent. That's what he was trying to say. Whether or not he would have been able to do that with 9-11 likely probably happening even if he became president, I don't know. But that's something he ran on, so I voted for him. But the minute Donald Trump started running on, I'm going to cut the corporate rate, I'm going to cut your taxes, I was like, that's music to my ears. Because I'm not going to get Social Security. I'm not going to get Medicare. And ding, 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 amber alert, amber alert, anybody 40 years or younger, you're not going to get it either. So that's in part why we do some of this Make America Great Again segment. That's why we do some of the economic segments. That's why we talk about stocks on this show. It's because it's very, very important. None of you guys are going to retire on your baseball cards, okay? For every baseball card you have that goes up in value, you're going to have about 300 or 400 that don't go up in value. Everybody loves to show, oh, yeah, I bought, I bought Mike Trout when nobody cared about him or when he was in AAA or I bought Chris Bryant before it really blew up. But, God, I bet you bought all the other players too. I bet you bought, uh, you know, the guy for the Rockies. What was his name? Trevor Story. I bet you had a bunch of him. And among, I mean, he's, he's just a, a long list of prospects that blew up and then blew, then blew up. You're not going to retire on baseball cards. So it's important that you diversify your income a little bit. I will say that I have zero points. I don't think I have any, I have a couple baseball cards lying around my house. Like four or five. If you can't hold all your baseball cards in one hand and you don't have any stocks, then you, you are in trouble. You're going to be in deep trouble in 20 or 30 years. Maybe even sooner than that. I mean, ju- just recently, Bitcoin has, has skyrocketed. I had Bitcoin for years. Years and I should have bought it you know, when I first heard about it, when it was like a dollar or two. Because I'm big in online gambling and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's long been the currency of, of illegal gambling sites. It's something I've partaken in for, for over a decade is illegal gambling. And I probably should have had some then, but I did, did, did have a little bit of Bitcoin. Uh, I think I got it three or four years ago. I think I only had maybe 30 or $40 of it, and it's worth oh, that. Just that alone is worth uh, over 1000 maybe even over $1,500 uh, today. But if you don't have those kind of investments where it's like, oh, I, have that, I still have that stock, or I still have the, I still have this, I still have that, and you spend all your money on baseball cards, you need to adjust your attitude. You need to adjust your lifestyle. Otherwise, your lifestyle is not going to change. And like I said, if you're 35, 40 years or younger, you're not getting Social Security, you're not getting Medicare. And you might think, oh, that's not that big of a deal now. Oh, you know, if you're one of these people that rely on a paycheck, that have to go to work, that wake up every morning and grind eight to five or whatever, it will be important to you. 
will be deeply important to you one day. And the sooner you start planning for it, the sooner you start setting goals and setting objectives, the better off you'll be. So hopefully, again, hopefully this segment helped you out a little bit. I know that uh, after 10 years of doing the Sports Card Show podcast, we can't always be, you know, oh, uh, you know, 2017 Prism came out. It has uh, 24 packs and two autographs per pack. And uh, the top hit is Alonzo Ball uh, Refractor and uh, Kyle Kuzma's. And uh, this guy and that guy sell for a lot. And uh, I've noticed uh, some collectors are not getting all their hits, et cetera, et cetera. We don't need to do that on this show. There are other podcasts out there that do that. And if they want to do that, that's fine. We don't have interview guests. I even got some idiot emailed me this week from some company. I don't even know what it's called, but they had just partnered with Leaf or something. And he was like, oh, uh, yeah, do, are you interested in interviewing our CEO? I love these guys. That's like, they call themselves a CEO, basically like a website. And they're like, oh, we can talk about our partnership with Leaf. And it's like, uh, buddy, uh, three episodes ago, I spent uh, three hours uh, basically blasting leaf and, and subsequently, I mean, the guy was blowing me up on text message and, and, uh, on DMS and voicemails and trying to get on the, come on the show. And after I did, I was like, uh, no, you can suck my dick. He basically blocked me and now he did, now he's not going to talk to me. So again, not, not that we would want him again. I actually did the guy from leaf a favor by not bringing him on the show. Because there's four or five other podcasts, maybe two or three other podcasts out there in the world that he could go on to that'll basically, again, uh, reach between their legs, remove their balls, put them over on the side of the table, and then do the interview. That's not what we do on the show if I had somebody on here. So it's really, I really do you guys a favor by not bringing on interview guests from any of these major companies because I'd literally, uh, you know, I'd be looking to pour gasoline onto them and light a match. So instead, I try to give you some financial advice, some from my own experience too. And I'm, I'm, I try to be as honest as possible about it. There's been, and maybe in the future, maybe I will be broke again. I don't know. I, 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 it would, I think it would be pretty difficult I certainly have some hard assets uh, that I've acquired over the last 10 years. Uh, and we're not talking about stuff. I've actually have more, believe it or not, I have probably more invested in hard assets, primarily like jewelry, than I do in stocks. I've actually sold a lot of my stocks over the last few years uh, to buy, uh, buy my house in particular, and uh, other, what I would consider hard assets, and actually appreciating hard assets. So um, I can always, if times get tough, which is possible, it definitely could happen, but if time gets tough, I actually have some things I could sell that would get me by for uh, a very long period of time, would actually pay my bills for... Um, at this point, maybe over 12 months. So I could probably figure out how to make money over a 12-month period of time if I lost a, a way to make money. But 
We'll see if that ends up happening. I'm sure my business model and the ways I make money are, is always going to have to evolve because, you know, we went from, you know, I've even done that over the last couple of years because we went from uh, a lot of the traffic on websites was through a desktop computer. It's gone to cell phones. I, I can imagine, you know, 10 years from now, it's probably going to come from some other source. You know what I mean? So you're always going to have to evolve uh, if you're going to be making money online. You're always going to have to evolve how you're making money. And I've kind of evolved a little bit onto Amazon and selling hard products again, because I think that's a way kind of for me as somebody that makes actually almost all my money, all my income comes from uh, digital ads, essentially ads on websites. But I'd like to kind of diversify from that a little bit um, by selling hard assets, because I, th- I think that people, that, that's, that's not going to go out of style. And I think uh, e-commerce is still, still a really young business. Still, uh, you know, it's less, than really, it's less than 20 years old, basically. And certainly in kind of the form we know it now, like buy it and get it two days later, that model is like less than 10 years old. It used to be buy and wait two weeks or wait a week and a half to get the item. Wait, you know, wait several days for the payment to clear and then wait, you know, seven days for UPS to deliver it. Now you buy on Amazon and you you can get it like the same day or a lot of times the next day or at the latest two days later. And so that, that I think will really accelerate that. So that's why I've, I've accelerated my Amazon. I've got some high goals for Amazon this next year. And with the, ta- with the tax, you know, finally, last point I'll make is on the taxes. Uh, you know, one of the biggest benefits now is for business owners, people with, it's called pass-through income. So what I do is I, all my income that from my websites through Amazon and all the other ways I make money all passes through my own personal income tax. I could change eventually what I probably will do is eventually change to a corporation. I'll actually turn, I'll actually, you know, and I don't think a lot of people know this. They think corporations have to be these big, rich things. Anybody can own own a corporation. It's just a matter of paperwork. So I'm, you know, it it doesn't make sense yet, but I can see maybe in the future, it could make sense for me to do that from a tax perspective, from paying myself and, and our earnings perspective. Um, but I, I really just pass through all my income. And for somebody out there, like I've had a lot of people on Twitter be like, oh, this, this only benefits, you know, uh, corporations and rich people and people with pass-through income. It's like, if you're too lazy to set up your own LLC or your own partnership, which literally takes 25 minutes, 30 minutes max, if you're too lazy to do that, no, you don't deserve any of the money. You don't deserve a tax break. You don't. You, you deserve the the little money that the, your employer pays you. If you can't if you can't afford the time, all it takes is time. It's not even that much money. Anybody can set up a corporation. Anybody can set up an LLC. Anybody can set up a partnership and start passing through your income through it. It could be your, check out my card sales. It could be uh, setting up at a card show. It could be selling on Amazon. It could be selling on eBay. 
and just start passing through your cell phone bill through there. Start passing through your all your purchases for printer paper and bubble mailers and computers and monitors. And then, oh, lo and behold, you go take a vacation. Just add, you know, go to a conference or go visit some card shops and 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 you know do some consulting or go whatever. And it's a tax write off. Every vacation I've taken over the ta- pl- last ten years has been written off on my on my on my taxes. Okay, do you get a full deduction for every uh, vacation? No, you get I don't know twenty or thirty percent of it. But you get mileage. God knows how much mileage I put on my car. Every computer I've bought, I've gotten I've gotten a write off on the taxes. This microphone I'm speaking into was used as a tax write off. My iPad, my cell phone, my cell phone bill, my internet bill, you better believe gets written off on my taxes. And you can do the same thing. And literally takes thirty minutes. I've had I've had multiple people tell me on Twitter, "Oh, you you just benefit, you know? It's just people like you that benefit." What are you talking about? If you're lazy, of course. This is this is not Bernie Sanders as our president that just wants to give you free weed and free free health care and free uh, free everything, free money. But if you're willing to work for it, if you're willing to put in a little bit of effort, absolutely, you can benefit. Not asking you to vote for Donald Trump, but God knows you could benefit from his policies. But a lot of people are so bent, so bent and so stupid that they won't, and that's fine. That's great. If you want to jump over the dollars sitting on the ground and go pick up the pennies that your employer throws at you, go right ahead. That's literally what you're doing. You guys that wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning and go grind until 5 o'clock in the afternoon and do that day in, day out, clock in, clock out, you're literally jumping over the $100 bills. As you're driving to work, you're literally driving by $100 bills to go pick up the pennies your employer throws at you. Set up a pass-through entity, pass through some, a lot of your expenses through there. I'm going to do the same thing for my wife. It literally takes like 10 minutes of internet research and another 20 minutes of, uh, you know, maybe you don't even have to really get legal zoom involved if you don't want to. You can do it all yourself. For, I think for me, it was like 300 bucks, 350 to set up an LLC this last year. It's like nothing. So hopefully that motivates you a little bit. Get out there. Get to work. Get to doing some of this stuff. But uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Happy collecting as we move into 2018. Hopefully we have uh, as robust uh, baseball season. I think we've got that Japanese star. It's playing for the Angels, I think. I think we've had, got Giancarlo Stanton moving on to the Yankees. So I can imagine his Yankee cards will be collected. And, and you have dual autographs with Aaron Judge and maybe triple autograph. I mean, a really nice card to be a triple of him, Jeter, and, and Judge or whatever. It'd be pretty cool. 
a lot of different combinations you probably can do there with all the players that have played for the Yankees. You got the Astros coming off the heels of their World Series championship, so I'm sure their fans will be extraordinarily excited for the season no matter what happens. And pretty much everybody else in baseball. You know, baseball is one of those sports where you've seen the Astros win. And you might think, God, that could be my time. I remember like a couple years ago, like people were like boycotting the Astro games and like there was nobody there and everybody was all pissed. <laughs> and they won the World Series. So, uh, and you know, people uh, the year before that thought the Cubs were cursed and they would never win and they won. So, Baseball is exciting because it, it really is. Um, I don't want to say anybody can win, but your fortunes could be turned around pretty quick in baseball. So I think people will be excited. I think in general, a lot of people will be excited uh, about the season and about the prospects of their team, at least for the first couple months of the season. Moving into you know the heart of basketball season when the games really start to matter and you start seeing some movement up and down in the playoff race. That'll be exciting to watch. And finally, we have the NFL playoffs. And the Super Bowl will be crowned again. And I personally think that's kind of up in the air. You know, you got the Steelers are looking pretty good. But they've had some injuries. I mean, I think all teams at this point of the year, it's all about, you know, keeping your best players on the field. A little bit of weather, too. I think the weather is going to play a big factor in a lot of, a lot of games down the stretch here. But pretty much anybody that makes the playoffs in the NFL could legitimately uh, have a shot to win the Super Bowl. So that'll be kind of exciting um, to see how that turns out. I don't know a damn thing about hockey, so I'm not going to talk about that. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. We move, this is really kind of the exciting part of the, the season. And then you also have the offseason for the NFL, which for me is probably as entertaining as the regular season. So you have some player movement happening right after the Super Bowl, usually. And then you head right into the NFL draft, which I've said numerous times on this show, which I think is one of the most, will be one of the most anticipated NFL drafts uh, in recent memory, at least in the last three or four years. You're going to have several quarterbacks near the top that are going to get Nick picked and this guy's not that good, but trust me. There's going to be a lot of teams looking at seeing what San Francisco is doing with their new quarterback, looking at what the Eagles did before uh, Wentz got hurt, looking at, um, gosh, there's a couple of, looking at like even like someone like Blake Bortles, who was drafted and kind of played and kind of developed and has got the Jaguars winning. The NFL is all about the quarterback. And you can literally turn your fortunes around. I mean, the Eagles had like the number two pick. And then before Wentz got, got hurt, they, they might have been the odds on favor to win the Super Bowl. In, in, in literally like a year's time, the Eagles went from being a bad team or not a very good team, not really a bad team, but just a team that, that not very good to one that could potentially win the Super Bowl. And the 49ers... Uh, I know this for a fact because I've actually seen a lot of their games. Uh, they went from a team that was god-awful to the fans really not being very happy with them to, boy, they've won, I think, two or three games in a row, and Garoppolo looks amazing. So your fortunes can really, really turn around very quickly in the NFL with a quarterback, and I think people are going to see that 
with the players that come out, with Lamar Jackson, with Josh Rosen, to a certain degree, um, Baker Mayfield as well. I don't know how high of a pick he'll be, but I think uh, in general he'll have a high collectability value depending on where he ends up. And you're going to have a lot of teams uh, looking, uh, not a lot of teams, but there's going to be teams looking to trade up and looking to make that big move uh, to get one of the two quarterbacks that I mentioned in particular, Jackson or Rosen. There's going to be teams that are going to grade them extraordinarily high and going to grade them out as, oh, and Jared Goff's the other guy. You know, he's got the Rams winning. So, I mean, both the Eagles and the, and the Rams, uh, I wouldn't say gambled, but, but picked a quarterback where, where bad teams got the first and second pick. And a year or two later, they're, they got winning records, and they're good, they're good teams. And I wouldn't say that, like, they've overhauled the roster outside. I mean, I think the Eagles have got a lot of talent and have signed some players and got, got some really good players in there, but... I don't think the Rams have really overhauled uh, their roster a whole lot outside of getting a quarterback and developing them a little bit. And same with the Niners. I mean, they look like trash. And all of a sudden, they get a quarterback, and they, they, they look unbeatable. So uh, it's amazing what can happen in the NFL. So I think this offseason for the NFL will be really exciting and really worth um, kind of monitoring and keeping an eye on. And I think, too, the other thing I was talking about with my brother today is, you know, basketball, I don't, I'm not really a buyer right now, but I think when we get into that part of the year where, you know, like three months from now, baseball season's about to begin. Baseball cards have, are out. We've got, you know, we already had Series 1 out. We've got Heritage out. We've got maybe Ginter out or whatever. We've got a couple sets out on the market, and people are excited about baseball. And then we've got the end of football, but then kind of the beginning of football as well, where you've got the offseason, you start getting maybe, I don't know what the first prospect set is or whatever, but you start seeing, uh, you know, early season football start coming out. That I think then is when people are going to be like, ah, do I spend more money on Lonzo Ball and Jason Tatum and Kuzma or do I start buying some of this new stuff, this baseball stuff, this Japanese guy, the uh, whoever else, you know, God knows there'll be, you know, Vladimir Jr. or whatever. There'll be like 20 other people that'll probably emerge in baseball. And then on top of that, you'll have um, at least two, maybe three, maybe even four quarterbacks picked very high in the NFL draft. You have teams trading up and teams really jockeying for position to get those quarterbacks. That's going to drive a lot of value, a lot of attention there. That's when I think I'll be moving on basketball cards. Not necessarily Lonzo Ball or Kuzma or, or some of these really top, top guys, but there's a couple other guys that I have my eye on that I think could be really good kind of value pickups when people are, are kind of paying attention to other sports, other cards. Again, the, the card economy, especially the new card economy, is a limited market. It's a niche market. There's only so much money to go around. So I think you could capitalize then um, when, when, when people are paying attention to the other things going on, offseason in basketball, that's when you come in and scoop up some of these rookies that can come in. I mean, we look at like Anta Tacumpo or whatever, his rookie card skyrocketed. Kristaps Porzingis, his rookie skyrocketed. You see it year after year. 
where a guy comes in year two, year three, I certainly, I definitely expect that with um, someone like Kuzma, Kyle Kuzma for the Lakers, having a great year. He's not always starting. But I think coming into year two, year three, this is a player that's going to average 25 points a game. And that'll put him up into the elite scores in the NBA. Someone like Lonzo Ball, I think he's like, eighth or seventh in the league in assists? I mean, that's crazy. For as young as he is and the kind of talent that the Lakers have, I think as the Lakers mature and they get better, they get better, you know, to get working together as a team, they get maybe a little bit better, a couple better players on the team. They have some good players, but I think they, they could get even some better players. Lonzo Ball's assist numbers will go up. He'll be maybe top three in assist. I think we've seen recently, too, his, his scoring, his ability to score, his ability to get to the basket's getting better. It's getting more comfortable in that sense. He's also pretty tall for his position. At some point, Lonzo Ball's going to learn to play with his back to the basket, learn to play off the low block. He is going to dominate the little six-foot, six-foot-one point guard. Once he develops his body and develops his low post game a little bit. And that could take years. Could take two, three, four years. I mean, it took LeBron probably 10 years to learn how to play with his back to his basket. Took Kobe Bryant many, many years to do that. But that's the awesome thing about basketball. You've got several years for these guys to kind of develop that. And I think the time to get them is in kind of their transition from year one to year two when people are kind of tired of collecting their cards or kind of over collecting their cards. And certainly all the rookies I mentioned will likely hit some kind of rookie wall. Usually around January into January into February is when you see the rookies really start to struggle a little bit. Because now the season is, is stretched on a, a farther than they, they're used to playing. So definitely could be a good time to buy at that point of the and it certainly if you looked at if you look at like Chris Dapps, if you look at onto Takumbo, there's probably some other examples, not not quite as high flying as those guys, but there, you know, find those gold again, just like stocks, find those gold medal type players. Okay. If you watch Chris Dapps play, if you watch Anta Takumbo play, you know, you could tell, like, man, those guys could end up being really strong players because of their body type, the style of play that the team plays. They could be very, very, very solid players, very good players. There's actually several rookies I could see um, in this year's draft that could ultimately develop year two, year three. Obviously, uh, Kuzma and Lonzo for the Lakers, but I think Tatum, the stuff that I've seen out of Tatum out of uh, Boston, pretty good player. The, I think the guy's name is Mitchell. His last name is Mitchell in uh, Utah. That fool's really good. There's a guy for Dallas that's really good. There's a guy for the Kings, uh, the young point guard that they have. I really like his game. I think if he got some more playing time and mature his game matured a little bit, he needs to get a little stronger too. But I think that so there, there's three or four players that I'm definitely targeting late in the year. Um, in terms of uh, pickups for basketball. So definitely be looking uh, looking to do that. We'll talk about that on future shows. But for now, 
That about wraps it up again. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Happy whatever that you end up celebrating. Happy if you don't celebrate anything. Still love you guys. Um, and we'll come back some of the year. So 2017, closing the book on that year and that collecting season. But we'll be back in 2018, our 10th year of doing the Sports Card Show podcast. No other sports card podcast has been around that long. We'll be back again some other time, some other place. But for now, we are out of here. <laughs>